Chapter 15, Part B of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eric Metzler. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lowell. Part 3 The Evidences of Evolution. Section 2 Morphology and Adaptations. Chapter 15, Part B Coloration and Mimicry cause of coloration some coloration is doubtless dependent upon the chemical material of which any organism is composed and the hue is due entirely to the absorptive powers of that substance since oxide of iron is red so is the blood of vertebrates and since copper oxide is bluish green so is the blood of the octopus and so on in many cases the color of internal organs may be due entirely to the nature of the food consumed thus the flesh of brook trout caught in central massachusetts where there are few crustaceans available for food is pale whereas trout from the adirondack lakes where crawfish are abundant have flesh of a deep salmon pink the bones of a garpike are green in color through the deposition of green vivianite under certain physiological conditions thompson says that the pigment substances are primarily waste products reserve products or by-products of the animal's metabolism and in many instances the colors have no more significance for their possessors than the gorgeous autumnal tints of withering leaves have for the tree that is to say none pigment aside from its protective or warning significance may have other very real values such for its instance are the definitely localized spots of coloring matter which are sometimes associated with end organs of the nervous system this pigment absorbs light indirectly stimulating the nerve thus acts as a light percipient organ all eyes have this for their basic principle but in some instances accessory organs which are not strictly speaking eyes and yet have a light perceptive value are thus formed other pigments found in fur or feathers may serve to absorb or reflect heat and thus be of value to the owner in addition to the function of sympathetic coloration such as for example the pale grays of the denizens of the desert again dark pigment such as that in the negro and other dark human races serves to cut off the ultraviolet rays of light which from their physiological action cause such discomfort to humanity hence a colored man under a tropic sky is less liable to sunstroke than a fair one and the development of human pigment which is said to bear a direct ratio to the number of sunny days in a year in a given region may well be due to the working of natural selection in eliminating the lighter colored individuals rather than to the inheritance of the direct effect of the sun's rays in the production of pigment the structural features striae and the like which give rise to the physical play of iridescence have been compared to ripple marks or rhythms of growth such as the growth lines on a shell and the same may be true of the color when it is laid down in concentric lines or crossbars value of coloration the value of coloration to the animal is in many instances a very real thing and must play an important part in determining the creature's chances for survival that is not in every case operative however is undeniable for as roosevelt says speaking especially of the higher animals some have so wide a range of activity continually passing over such totally different landscapes and among such totally different surroundings that the difficulty of devising a concealing coloration would be enormous nevertheless if the color was such as to protect the bird or animal at critical periods not only from the standpoint of its own individual protection but also from that of the race as for the instance during the bringing forth of the young or the incubation of the eggs 
its value would be abundantly proved even though at other times the protection afforded was inadequate whatever may be the initial cause of color its final perfection of adaptation for concealment warning or whatsoever service it may render may well be the result of the natural selection factor mimicry of all the devices adopted by nature for the protection of her children none is so marvelous in its perfection as those which are included under the head of mimicry the resemblances which organisms bear to others and to inanimate objects in form color attitude and action thereby either escaping observation or advertising an apparent harmfulness which is not at all real just as coloration of animals was classed as protective and aggressive so we may consider two aspects of mimicry the protective mimicry being as before divisible into concealing and warning and the aggressive into concealing and alluring mimicry may be further divided into unconscious or passive under which head by far the greater number of mimics fall and wherein form and color make up the resemblance and conscious or active in which by its actions the mimic imitates the immune model almost anything may be mimicked from a wave-borne pebble to the twig of a tree or an active harmful insect thus all the kingdoms of nature the inorganic plant and animal furnish the host of models to be imitated where immunity is sought protective mimicry as we have seen has two aspects concealment and warning of which the first is by far the most common an example is the crab cryptolithodes whose smooth rounded form and texture and white color harmonize so perfectly with the white quartz pebbles of beech shingle that one needs must turn the animal over generally by accident to see its real organic character as a living form the immunity which it thus secures from enemies of its own humble station must be of real protection though doubtless it is occasionally crushed by a larger form its mimicry is certainly unconscious as action betrays its presence and stoical passivity is essential to safety another crab resembles wave-worn dead coral very closely here as the animal is carnivorous the concealment may have a twofold purpose protection against its enemies and aid in securing its prey the geometrid moths whose caterpillars are the familiar measuring worms are often not only protectively colored but may mimic the twigs and smaller branches of various plants such as clematis the birch tree the pear tree and many others that on the birch the caterpillar of selenia tetralunaria when it needs particularly to escape observation grasps the branch with its two hinder pair of prop legs and throws its body outward at an angle in a rigid posture as though in a cataleptic state details of resemblances are now apparent not only in color and form but in excrescences which simulate the latent buds of a twig while the somewhat pointed head and feet resemble terminal buds so perfect is the resemblance and so long maintained the posture that even a trained observer often fails to see the creature or to be sure of what he sees until he actually touches it such mimicry is in the main unconscious that is in the color and form but as action precedes the inaction of the mimicking pose it is also in part a conscious one yet another geometrid moth schizura mucronis carries the mimicry still further for not only does the rough-barked caterpillar mimic the twig to perfection but the moth does also although somewhat less effectively the latter rests head downward against the bark of the actual limb with the stiffened body held out at an appropriate angle the wings being folded around the abdomen in such a way as to heighten the resemblance many moths mimic the rough bark in color 
when in an ordinary resting posture upon it, but with them it is a matter of color mimicry only. Many of the walking stick insects, phasmidae, are also close mimics, with their slender body, attenuated limbs, sympathetic coloration, and slow movement, often stiffening into rigidity as do the geometrids. When moving, some of the walking sticks have a particular tottering gait, but in one instance in Texas, while the shadow of the insect could be clearly seen upon the shadow of a bush because of this characteristic, only careful search revealed the creature in substance upon the bush itself. All of the American species of phasmids are wingless, and there are comparatively few of them, but in the tropic and subtropic regions of the earth over 600 species are known, many of which have other protective resemblances, some of them marvelous indeed. Perhaps the most perfect example is the leaf insect, Philium. Here the wings and flattened and expanded body and limbs are all green, except for irregular small yellowish spots which simulate the fungus or rust growths upon a leaf, so that the total resemblance is very precise. Many butterflies are also leaf-like in appearance, simulating not only the general hue of a dead or withered leaf, but its petiole, midrib, venation, rust spots, and the clearest places which sometimes occur in a diseased or injured leaf. One such butterfly is Sinoflebia arcidona from Bolivia, in which the upper outer angle of the forewing forms the apparent stem or petiole of the leaf. The most noteworthy instance, however, is that of Kalima paralecta from India, in which the hinder wings are prolonged into the stem-like structure, and the other leaf-like markings are carried to an extreme of perfection. This butterfly is strikingly colored above, blue-black with a reddish-yellow or bluish-white band, the recognition markings of the species. This coloring is seen in flight. On the instant of alighting, the insect practically disappears, for now the wings are folded together so that only their protectively colored undersurface is exposed. This is deceptively like a dead and sere leaf due to its color, in which red and brown alternate with occasional spots bereft of scales, which simulate dewdrops. In addition, there is seen the midrib and often the lateral ribs of the leaf, and black and moldy spots also occur. Warning Mimicry Some of the most remarkable mimicry of all is included under the caption of warning mimicry. Mimicry of advertising colored forms which are either distasteful or even poisonous when devoured or through the possession of poisonous fangs. Among reptiles there are certain brilliantly colored poisonous snakes of the family Elapidae to which the deadly cobras belong. These snakes are of the genus Elaps and are confined entirely to America. They are beautifully colored, often in red and black alternating bands, which in the coral snake are edged with yellow. While they possess a strong poison, they are practically harmless to man because of the limited extent of the gape. Each of the several species of poisonous coral snakes is mimicked by other species of harmless snakes belonging to different genera, and while the markings are in no case exactly similar, the approximation is sufficiently close to render the imitators practically immune from attack, except perhaps by mankind. Many other harmless snakes, such as the hognose snake, heterodon, while not colored exactly like poisonous ones, will nevertheless flatten the head, rendering it triangular, and hiss and often strike to show how very dangerous they are. With lower animals this doubtless gives them a certain immunity from attack, but on the other hand only serves to invite destruction at the hand of man. The mimicry in the case of those species which imitate the coral snakes is unconscious or passive, that of heterodon is conscious as it depends upon the actions of the snake to make it effective. Among insects again there are a host of imitators, both active and passive. 
those which mimic their models in form, color, and action, such as the hairy, brilliantly colored surface or flower flies, which resemble the stinging bees and wasps, beetles which resemble wasps, clear-wing moths which mimic bees, and so on. Some of the most remarkable imitations, again, are among the butterflies, which resemble other distasteful and hence immune butterflies. The most familiar instance is that of the immune monarch butterfly, Anosia plexippus, or Denius archippus, which is inedible, and its imitator, the viceroy, Vasilarchia archippus, or Limetnitis disippus, which would otherwise be destroyed, as it is palatable from the point of view of insectivorous birds. Sometimes only the female of a butterfly will mimic an immune model, the male being colored in a totally different way, dimorphic species. Again, in widespread species, more than one form of female will be associated with a given male, each female mimicking an immune species which happens to be locally abundant. In Africa, the Danaid butterflies are unpalatable, while the Papilios are not. Papilio merope is a species which, in the course of its distribution throughout Africa, has scarcely varied at all in the male sex, but in the female has almost everywhere lost the outward appearance of a papilio and has assumed that of a deniad, which is protected by being unpalatable, and not even everywhere the appearance of the same species, but in each place that of the prevailing one, and sometimes of several in one region. These females thus show at the present day a polymorphism, which consists of four chief mimetic forms, to which has to be added the primitive form, that resembling the male. This has survived in Abyssinia alone, and even there it is not the only one, but occurs along with some of the mimetic forms. Thus, while in a general way the different types of female are locally separate, their areas of distribution often overlap. And at the Cape, for instance, one male and three forms of female have been reared from one set of eggs. Aggressive mimicry is that shown by certain carnivorous forms such as the spiders found on goldenrod and other flowers, and whose yellow bodies so harmonize with the flowers upon which they rest as to render them invisible to the visiting insects which form the spider's prey. Other spiders resemble oak galls or other vegetable growths, yet others the droppings of birds, all of which resemblances have the same ulterior design. These are all instances of concealing mimicry. Another spider is described as resembling an orchid blossom more or less closely, both in color and form. In this instance, the resemblance is an alluring one and is advertising rather than sympathetic. It is doubtless a highly profitable adaptation to the spider. Another similar adaptation is that shown in a certain African lizard, protectively colored except for a brilliant patch of color at the corner of the mouth, which acts as a lure for the unwary. Simulation of death. But one aspect of mimicry remains to be discussed, again a conscious imitation, that of simulating death. This has been developed to such a fine art in the American opossum, Didelphus virginiana, that the act is known in common speech as playing possum. Whether it is an intentional performance on the part of the creature, or whether, has been, as has been suggested, the animal faints away from fright, in which event it could hardly be called conscious mimicry, it certainly is again an adaptation of real value to its owner, and may even save its life when attacked by an enemy that prefers to kill its prey. Many insects, especially hard-bodied beetles, whom a fall will not injure, have a similar habit, as they drop like a pebble when one is about to seize them, and lie inert where they fall and are often searched for in vain among the leaves and grass beneath the bush upon which they were. This may be, as in the case of the opossum, an actual unconsciousness, 
but is even more efficacious as the animals are so hard to find. Wallace's Conditions for Protective Mimicry Wallace long ago summed up the conditions which must be fulfilled whenever protective mimicry occurs. They are as follows. Imitative species must occur in the same area and occupy, occupy the same station as the mimicked. The imitators are always the more defenseless. The imitators are always less numerous in individuals. The imitators differ from the bulk of their allies. The imitation, however minute, is external and visible only, never extending to internal characters or to such as do not affect the external appearance. Causes of Mimicry Weissmann, the leader of the Darwinian school, makes natural selection the only factor in the production of mimicry, arguing with Bates that the great likeness, such as occurs between the white butterflies and the nauseous Heliconidae, would depend on a process of selection, based on the fact that in each generation those individuals would on the average survive for reproduction, which were a little more like the model than the rest, and thus the resemblance, doubtless slight to begin with, would gradually reach its present degree of perfection. In opposition to this, it has been argued that the mimicry, to be of any selection value, must be practically perfect at once. The minute or trivial variations, such as the exponents of natural selection postulate, would be of no possible survival value in mimicry. On the other hand, that masterpiece of mimicry, Kalima, goes too far, as a much less perfect imitation would be ample for all practical purposes, and we cannot conceive of selection taking an adaptation past the point of efficiency. Another explanation of mimicry is that the mimetic form, as in butterflies, may have arisen as a sport or saltation, and that for a while the two forms persisted side by side, but gradually the old one disappeared. Such an explanation might well account for the polymorphism of Papilio merope, especially as the male still retains its original form, and in one locality, Abyssinia, a female does as well. There is little doubt, however that whatever causes may be secondarily operative in the production of coloration and mimicry, natural selection is the chief. End of chapter 15. Recording by Eric Metzler, Albuquerque, New Mexico, United States of America.